All right, we're going to be studying today Matthew 19. The passage that Bill read, we're going to use as background, uh, but for what we're going to look at in Matthew 19. Um, we're going to be looking at verses 13, 14, and 15. There we go. There we go. Good. Thank you. Matthew 19. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, please help us, we pray. Help us to see the wonder and majesty and greatness of you in the simplest of stories. Help us to see in these three verses what you reveal about yourself, something that is so contrary even and so different than every other human religion or philosophy. Thank you that you revealed your heart in such a tender way. And we pray that you will help us to understand you better and understand how we relate to you better and deepen our love for you, and deepen our appreciation for all that you have done and for who you are. Bless and be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is God like? Have you ever thought about that? What is God like? What is he like? What's his character like? What's his attitude? What's his heart like? What is God like? You know, that's actually a very important question, if not the most important question in one way, because God created everything and he created us and God sustains us and God takes care of us and God owns us. We're his. This world is his. All the nations are his. All the universe is his. He owns it and he takes care of us and he provides. You know, every meal that you've ever eaten, God gave you. Everything that you ever had or owned, God gave you. Every breath that we ever breathe, God gave us. And so it's really important for us to know, what kind of God is it? Who is this? What's he like? God is going to actually judge us one day. We're going to stand before him and give an account. And so it's very important for us to know, what's this God like? What's he like? Well, God has actually answered that question for us in powerful ways. Number one, we just see his generosity being poured out all the time. How blessed we all are. But then God revealed himself in a unique way through his son, Jesus. The book of Hebrews starts off by saying this, that in in many ways, in various ways, God spoke to us in time past. But in the final day, in the last day, God spoke definitively by sending his son, sending his son. And this is how he's described. Listen how he's described. He is the brightness of his glory. He's like the sunbeam coming out of the sun. And he is the express image of his purpose. Remember I asked you, what is God like? What is his character? Well, actually the word character is used there when it says he is the express image of his person. God, Jesus shows very clearly who God is, what God the Father is like. In John chapter 14, his disciples said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, you're so confused. You don't get it. When you see me, you see the Father. I'm revealing the Father to you. 
And so in a wonderful way today, we are going to look into the heart of God. We're going to look into the heart of God. And what you're going to see, I hope, is going to be beautiful to you, first of all. And second, encouraging to you. Now, once again, as you can tell right from the title, uh, right from the scripture verse, I mean, this is going to be about children again. This is going to be about children. And it's interesting. We've just looked at children in chapter 18. Now we're looking at children again. Now, part of it is, is that this is actually a large passage on the family. Because chapter 19, we looked at last week, is all about marriage and divorce and, and, and such and singleness. And now, verse 13, uh, 14 and 15 is about children. So the family is being taught by Jesus here in verse 19. But what we're going to look at is we're going to look at three things going on in these verses. Number one, we're going to look at the parents and their children, slash children, parents and children. Then we're going to look at the disciples and children. And then we're going to look at Jesus and children. And we're going to apply this to ourselves. So look at verse 13. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. Now, you'll notice in the New King James that it's the, the word that is described as little children. And that's actually a very accurate translation. Uh, the word is used not for child, but the word that's used here is for little child. It's a diminutive. It means a, a little one, a little child. So, so maybe uh, last time in Matthew 18, when Jesus put a child in their midst, stood a child in their midst, this is now littler children. We're, we're going to focus on, on the little ones. In fact, Luke, when he tells this story, and this story is exactly told, the exact same way in many ways in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. G Luke uses the Greek word brethos, brephos, and brephos actually means little baby in the arms, little baby in the arms. In fact, brephos is used in the book of Luke of John the Baptist in his mother's womb, and it's used of Jesus being wrapped up and swaddled and put in the manger. And so these moms and dads, and they're obviously both dads and moms are present by the personal pronouns that are used. We know that. Some of them are masculine. These dads and moms are bringing babies in arms and bringing teeny little ones to Jesus. And notice what they're doing. They want him to touch them. They want him to lay their, his hands on them. They want him to pray for them. One of the gospel writers says <clears throat> that they want him to bless them. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? These parents want their children to have a vital connection with Jesus. They, they want the laying on of hands, which, which in a sense, they want the blessing of God. They recognize in Jesus that Jesus is a man of God. There's, there's a question as to who he is. Who do men say that I am? You're the prophet. You're Jeremiah. You're John the Baptist. Come back. We believe you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So there's a lot going on here. He's performing miracles. He's speaking on behalf of God. He has incredible integrity. They're seeing him as either a prophet or the son of God, but they want their children now to have connection with this amazing man. And they, they're through that. They want their children to have a vital connection with God. They want him to lay his hands hands on them. They want him to bless them. They want to know that their children are protected by God and, and loved by God and, 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 and watched over by God. And this is a very natural parental desire that they have here. 
They want the blessing of God upon their children. This is why we tell our children the gospel. This is why we pray for our children. This is why we bring our children to church. This is why we urge our children to rest and trust in Christ. This is why we're constantly talking to the Lord about our children, to watch over our children. This is a very natural thing. Most parents get what's going on here. They want the blessing of God upon their children, and they want their children to have a vital connection with this Jesus. They want him to touch their children. They want him to lay their hand, his hands on their children. Now, before we move on, I have to say that right now in this text, to use the phrase, the silence is deafening. The silence is deafening. What do I mean by that? I want you to notice here, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, offend people. I'm not trying to point out anybody here. I'm just speaking as, as how I see the scripture. There is no water here at all, is there? There is no baptism here. The Bible does not teach infant baptism. There's no request for baptism. They didn't request that their children will be baptized. They requested that Jesus would touch them and bless them and pray for them. There was lots of baptisms going on at this point. In fact, John tells us that Jesus and his disciples, Jesus didn't baptize, but he directed his disciples to, they were baptizing many, many more people than John the Baptist was early on in the ministry. Jesus baptized, they baptized. But here, there was no children baptized, and we don't have examples of children being baptized. Even when we have household baptisms in the book of Acts, it also says that those households believed and that those households rejoiced in Jesus. There was no children infant baptism. And another reason why we know there wasn't infant baptism here is by the disciples' response. The disciples, oh, they brought those kids to baptize. We baptize kids all No, they were like, what are you doing bringing kids here? Get kids out of here. We don't want kids here. And so you'll notice here that this isn't about baptism. This is about these parents wanting their children to have a vital connection with Jesus. They didn't, they didn't even ask for baptism. They're not even asking for their children to be healed. In fact, you get a sense that the disciples said, hey, what'd you bring that kid for? Uh, do you, does it need healed? No, 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 we just want Jesus to touch it and to bless it and to pray for it. And they're like, get out of here. Like, notice what it says. Look, look what the text says. But the disciples rebuked them, rebuked them. That is actually a severe, hard, harsh word. They rebuked them. It's the same word that's used when Jesus, in Matthew 8, when Jesus rebukes the winds. Stop. Be still. When Peter rebuked Jesus, that's not going to happen to you. And he rebuked him. When Jesus rebuked the demon with the epileptic boy, this is the same word that is used. Get out of him. Get out of that boy. And here now the disciples are saying, get out of here. Get these kids out of here. Get them out of here. The master is too busy. The master is too important. This is a frivolous matter. Do you truly believe that the son of God came to earth to hang out with little babies and to touch them and to pray for them? They, 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 they saw these children as a nuisance. They saw these children as, as not part of the important kingdom work. They, they, they think of kids as, 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 you know, they cry all the time. Think about it. Kids are kind of rough, aren't they? They cry all the time. <laughs> that was on cue. <laughs> they wet their pants. 
It spills through and wets you sometimes. They get in the way. They spill stuff and spill stuff and spill stuff. They break stuff. They write on walls. They're irritating. They're demanding. They tax our patience. And it's as if the disciples are saying, what are you doing bringing these children here? Get these children out of here. So that's the disciples and children. Now notice Jesus' response. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. Now, before we get to that, Mark tells us this. Mark tells us this. Mark Mark goes into a little bit more detail in this story. And Mark tells us this, that Jesus was angry at this point. In fact, the New King James in the book of Mark says that Jesus was greatly displeased. And I want to present to you the fact that I think that that is put uh, put it very mildly. It's very mildly. In fact, the word means, excuse me? Thank you. The word means to be indignant, to be incensed, to be angry. There's a Bible translation, and I went through like 25 Bible translations, and there's one that's entitled the International Standard Bible, and it alone uses this word, and I think it's the closest, furious. Jesus was furious. This is the only time in the entire New Testament that this word is applied to Jesus. It's applied to the Pharisees and to the leaders. It's applied to the disciples toward one another. But this is the only time that this word is used of Jesus. Jesus was furious with the disciples. In fact, Luke, it's kind of ominous because in Luke it says, and seeing what they were doing, the disciples, Jesus called them to him. He said, come here, guys, come here. And I, was, I feel like they were like children who are going to go into the principal's office. They were like, oh, no, he is upset. And they're kind of walking over. Jesus is incensed. He is furious. And then notice what it says. He tells them. He says, let the little children come. Let them come. Let them come to me. Don't stop them from coming. And do not forbid them, he says. And then he says this, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is the exact same teaching that is in Matthew 18. Just flip over to Matthew 18. Remember when we looked at this passage, they were arguing as who was the greatest. Jesus brings a little child into, the, into their presence, into the midst, and that little child is standing in the midst of them. And as he says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. And now you notice, you get a sense we're only like another chapter over and the disciples are missing the whole point again. And Jesus is angry with them. And he says, of such is the kingdom of heaven. This is what it's about. And what is he referring to? Well, these little babies, these small, insignificant, helpless Frail, fragile, needy, dependent, vulnerable, little beings of such is the kingdom of heaven. They're an example of what the kingdom of heaven is about. And then Mark tells us an absolutely beautiful thing. I was real tempted to just preach out of Mark, but I'm just going to tell you the story here. It says that Jesus didn't just lay his hands on them and touch them. It says that he embraced them. He held these children and he embraced them. 
And then you get a sense at that point, then he prayed that God would bless them. He prayed that God would watch over them. He prayed that the God would pr protect them. He prayed for God's good, that they would come to know him and believe upon him. And he delighted, he delighted. He held these children and he delighted in them and he smiled at them. And then he returned them back to their parents. That's how Mark describes the story. So let's apply this to ourselves. That's the text. It's a very simple text, and yet it's a profound text. Let's apply this to ourselves. And I think one of the things that we need to say about this text is what an amazing, wonderful God we have. What a good God he is. What a loving, gentle, caring, tender, kind God he is to the most insignificant among us. This is who God is. We're looking at the heart of God. Jesus is angry at the important disciples and the important Pharisees and leaders and adults. And he says, stop this. Bring them here. Bring them here. Bring, to such is the kingdom of God. These showing us the heart of God. This is the God who is concerned for the well-being of the insignificant, of the needy, of the frail. He's in, and he keys into them. He locks into them. This is a God who locks into them. He feeds, the Bible tells us, he feeds the little birds. Every one of the birds, he's concerned. That bird's hungry. I need to feed that bird. I'm going to need to feed this bird. All around the world, he's concerned. He takes as his concern on his heart the feeding of birds. And Jesus said, this is why we shouldn't worry. He won't break a bruised reed, the Bible says. He feels deeply the needs of the most vulnerable among us. He's the God of the widow. He's concerned for the widow. Look, she has no husband. She has no children, the true widow. He says she has no husband. She has no children. My heart goes out to her. I'm concerned for her. I'm concerned for her well-being. He's concerned for the orphan. He has a heart for the orphan. That, 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 that little one has no, and no parents to protect, to watch over, to love, to hug. He has a concern. He is the God of the widow and the orphans, the Bible says. He looks and cares after those who are needy, the poor and the needy. God has a special heart for the poor, a special concern for the poor. James tells us that they are the richest in the kingdom of heaven because of God's great concern for the poor. And here Jesus loves babies. They're special. They're beloved by God. They're to be cared for by God. God has time for them. Jesus is saying, I have time for them. I love them. I give them attention. They're important to me. They're valuable. This is what the kingdom of God is about. These are the kind of people the kingdom of God is for. Now, I want to present to you, and you can study this out on your own, but I've been keyed in and sensitive to this for many, many years now in my life. All of the other religions, you never find a God like this. You never do. In the pagan religions of the Old Testament, they had a god that was called Moloch. Moloch. And the god Moloch was a god to whom if you wanted to get on his good side, you know what you did? Well, there was a statue of Moloch. And it was hollow inside, and his mouth was open. And the priests of Moloch would build these huge fires in his belly, these huge fires until Moloch himself glowed red. And then you would take your child, your infant child, and dump him in the mouth of Moloch. It's in the Old Testament. Read it. 
Israel would start to do this too as they were, as they were seduced by the evil and wicked cultures. Islam does not show great care for children. Buddhism does not show great care for children. Hinduism does not show great care for children. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely, absolutely cares for children. Secularism has no concern for children at all. In fact, now we are celebrating our abortions. We are celebrating the execution of children in their mother's wombs. There is an increasing child neglect in secular cultures, child abuse in secular cultures. And here is Jesus furious at the disciples. Can you imagine what he thinks about cultures today? But Christianity was so different. And Christianity and the history of Christianity has been so different. In Christianity, children have always been beloved. They've always been special. They've always been valued. They've always been cared for. And in fact, study the history of the Christian church. Study and compare with the history of Islam. Study and compare with the history of pagan religions. Study and compare with the history of all other religions. The Christian church has always led the way in orphanages. Led the way in children's hospitals. Led the way. In fact, the early church was known in the early centuries in Roman culture. If you had a baby and you didn't want that baby for one reason or another, you needed boys, you didn't want girls or whatever, those babies were taken out to a garbage pit and they were laid there and they were left there. And one of the ministries of the Christian church, they took it upon themselves, is they would go out and they would scoop up these babies and they would find homes for them and they would care for them. And the Romans ridiculed the Christians that they would do something as stupid as that because Rome had no concern whatsoever with the dignity of children. And yet the early church captured the heart of Jesus and had a heart for children. What an amazing God we have. What a, this is who God is. This is his character. This is his love. This is his compassion. This is his gentleness. This is his kindness. This is his beauty that he loves these little babies. Dear friends, I think this sheds a bright light when it comes to the pain of a death of a child. The death of a child, perhaps a miscarriage, Perhaps a child who dies at childbirth or shortly after childbirth. A child who, who at, 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 at six months old or three months old gets cancer and dies. A child who dies in an accident. A child who dies from an abortion. A child who is, who is shook to death by, by an irate parent. I think there's, this sheds light on it. It doesn't shed this light, though. Be careful here. There is a view that is common that all children go to heaven because they're innocent and they've never sinned. That is not what the Bible teaches at all. There is, in fact, no innocent child because the Bible teaches that we are sinners from the moment that we are conceived. The Bible teaches that we, have, we, we bear the curse of Adam even inside our mother's wombs. The Bible teaches that as we are born, we are sinners as Adam was a sinner. And, and we soon show that, by the way. Like some teach the age of innocence where at 13 or 12 or whatever they said, children are innocent and if they die, they will automatically go to heaven based on their innocence and their righteousness. And the Bible doesn't teach that. And by the way, if you've ever been around kids, you don't believe that either. You don't believe that either. I know kids, I've known lots of kids who can't utter a word, who can't utter a word. All they can do is babble. 
And I have seen them in car seats. When the trip is taken too long, or they're hungry, or they're uncomfortable, if those little kids could swear, it would sound like a sailor was in that car seat. They are angry, and they are mad, and they want their way because we're children of Adam. No, children don't go to heaven because they're innocent. If children go to heaven, according to the scriptures, if children go to heaven, they go to heaven because they're saved by grace. They go to heaven because they've been born anew of the Spirit. They go to heaven because their sins have been washed by the blood of Jesus. They go to heaven because they have the gift of faith. You say, but how could a child have that? Well, a a, 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 a important passage to look at in that, I, you don't turn to it, I'll just, I'll just tell it to you, is Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth is big, big and pregnant with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in her womb. And Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And Elizabeth says in John, Luke chapter 1 that the moment that she got into the presence of Mary, that baby just went, just went bouncing, all, leaped for joy, she said. Twice she says it. The, when he hears the voice of Mary, the mother of Jesus, he leaps for joy again. And what is this telling us? This is telling us that John the Baptist was born again from his mother's womb. John the Baptist recognized his Savior, delighted in his Savior, and loved being in his Savior's presence. So from this tender scene here, from this tender scene, now I'm going to speak as a private individual, a citizen, a Bible student, and a Christian. I'm going to say this. Based on this passage here and the tenderness of who Jesus has toward these children and the, and the emphasis that he puts upon him, listen to my words carefully. I will not be surprised at all if the children who died went to heaven. I won't be surprised that children who die go to heaven. That the miscarried children, that the children who died at birth, the children who died of cancer, that the children who were lost in accidents, that the children who were killed intentionally, that the children who were aborted, that those children ended up in heaven. I would not be surprised if some of you get to heaven and a beautiful adult-looking male or female comes up to you and says, Hi, Dad. Hi, Mom. I was the miscarriage that you suffered when you were three months pregnant. I heard it was pretty bad down there. I heard that it was pretty bad down where you came from. See, I've only known the bliss and glory of heaven. But I heard that there's a war going on down there, and you've come out of the war zone. You see, dear friends, is it not possible, given the love of Jesus here, that these children are ransomed out of the war zone early, delivered from this present evil age, and they've known only the Savior and his loving arms? Is that not possible? Listen to the quote of J.C. Ryle. It's in your back of your bulletin. Notice how he's as careful with his language as I've tried to be with mine. He says, let us learn from these verses that the Lord Jesus cares tenderly for the souls of little children. 
It is probable that Satan especially hates them, and I believe that's why we see abortion. I believe that's why we see, because Satan does especially hate image bearers of God. It is probable that Satan especially hates them. It is certain that Jesus especially loves them. Young as they are, they are not beneath his thoughts and attention. That mighty heart of his has room for the babe in its cradle, as well as for the king on his throne. He regards each one as possessing within its little body an undying principle that will outlive the pyramids of Egypt and see the sun and moon quenched at the last day. That's its eternal soul. With such a passage as this before us, here he's cautious, but I agree with him. We may surely hope well about the salvation of all who die in infancy. The kingdom of heaven belongs to one like these. I think there's finally another and our final application is this. I think this even more reveals, even more is revealed about God. And that is this. You notice in here how powerfully and how beautifully God is caring for somebody who is so insignificant in the world's eyes. You see here how he gets furious when it is suggested that they should be overlooked. Is not, as I said, this his heart for the needy, his heart for the hurting, his heart for the forsaken, his heart for the small, his heart for the vulnerable, his heart for the quote-unquote insignificant, his heart for the helpless. Who's more helpless than a baby? His heart for the fragile, his heart for the frail, his heart for the dependent. And in Matthew 25, in the passage that Bill read for us, Jesus said he's commending, he's blessing the righteous because he's saying this, I was sick, you came. I was hungry, I was naked, I was in prison, and you came, you came. And when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, the least of the sick, the least of the hungry, the least of the naked, when you did it to them, you did it to me. And I see this and I reward this. You were doing my, where my heart is. You were following my heart. You were showing forth my heart. You were being what I am. You saw the need and you met it. You met it. Those weak, those helpless people. What should we do with this, dear friends? What should we do with this? We should see that Jesus is tuned in in a unique way to those who are feeling their great need. And what we should do like a child, we should have childlike faith in his concern for us as well. Dear friends, there's going to come a day. So maybe, maybe already several have come, but there is going to come a day or days, probably days, when you are going to feel small, you are going to feel insignificant, you are going to feel alone, you are going to feel vulnerable, and you are going to feel dependent, and you are going to feel needy, and you're going to feel helpless, and you're going to feel like the least. And what a comfort it's going to be on that day to know that God is the God of such a character that he zones in. He, he gives special focus to, to such a people. Could you imagine? And I'm probably this is probably happening because this has happened to me. 
You're in a crowded area. Maybe it's a, a rest stop at a, in a highway. Maybe it's out on the street. And a little kid is walking. And all of a sudden, all of the adults, all of the important people, if there's Lexuses and Mercedes driving around, if there's beautiful women, if there's men dressed in $1,000 suits, it's like everybody's like, whose kid is this? Where's his parents? What's going on? You immediately focus it. God does that to the needy. Dear friends, someday you're going to be sick. You're going to be sick, perhaps lying in a hospital, and you're going to feel weak, so weak you can't even talk or even think straight. You can't even pray. You're going to be hurting. You're going to be smelly because you're sweating, because you have a fever or you have open sores and it's oozing, and you're going to have matted hair, and you're going to be filthy, and you're going to feel forsaken. You're going to feel lost. All your strength is gone. Dear friends, what a comfort it is that point to know that Jesus interacts with you. See, I love this thing about this story because the parents wanted a vital connection with Jesus and Jesus wanted a vital connection with these children. Jesus wanted that. No, don't forbid them. Don't forbid them. Oh, bring your kids up. No. Dear friends, at that moment when you have childlike weakness and dependence and need, what a wonderful thing it is to be able to say, Lord Jesus, oh Lord Jesus, hold me in your arms. Oh Lord Jesus, help me. Oh Lord Jesus, give me grace. And that might be all that you can do is just sigh with sighs too deep for words you can't even articulate. Oh Lord Jesus, what a wonderful thing it is to know. Yes, yes. He focuses on need like this. He's shown the heart of God. He's shown that he's for people in this situation. Dear friends, there's going to become a time in your life when you are going to be scared, anxious. Circumstances around you are going to start to spin out of control, and it's totally outside of your ability to control it. You're waiting for the results of a CAT scan or a PET scan. You're waiting a few days to know whether you have cancer and could possibly be dying. Or worse, you're waiting for the results of a PET scan or a CAT scan for somebody that you love, a spouse, a child. You've lost your job. And who's going to hire you at this age? And these bills, how are you going to continue to pay for these bills? And you're going to feel overwhelmed. And you're going to feel weak. And you're going to feel small. And you're going to feel very vulnerable. What a wonderful thing it is to know that Jesus locks on to people with needs like this. And you can say, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Hold me in your arms. Give me grace. Help me. There's going to be times when you're going to be tempted, assailed by temptation. That, that sinful nature in you is going to want to do something that is shameful or wrong or harmful. And you're going to feel it. It's going to, what Paul calls the evil day. That you can stand on the evil day, be fully armed. And you're going to feel overwhelmed and weak and embarrassed that you even have these desires. And you say, Lord Jesus, help me. Have mercy upon me. Please. What a wonderful thing it is to know that he's revealed the heart of God, that God locks in on people at that point and helps them. You're going to, be, you're going to have doubts. You're going to have doubts. And then finally, death is going to approach. 
death is going to approach and you're going to feel so childlike. You're going to feel so weak. You're going to feel so needy. And he is going to come. You can turn to him. And he will say to the angels, do not forbid this. No, I'm focusing in on this prayer. No, I'm focusing in on this one. No, here is one of my children. Here is one of my lambs. I'm going to bring him or her home to be with me. I'm going to comfort them. I'm going to be with them. I'm going to be present. And you're going to be lying on your deathbed, and you're going to say, oh, Lord Jesus, the one who held babies and who got furious when they were taken away from you, and you, you got them back. Oh, Lord Jesus, hold me. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Oh, Lord Jesus, strengthen me. Oh, great one, strengthen me. And you're going to be talking at that moment to the Lord of the universe who stands and sits above all principality and power and dominion and every name that can be named, who is the most powerful, the most majestic, the most sovereign, the most glorious, who's the praise of angels, who the, who the angels and demons tremble at his greatness and his majesty and his power. And yet he's so tender. He's so merciful, and he so deeply, tenderly, and ferociously loves you. Little, insignificant, hurting, nobody, you. But for Jesus, there are no nobodies. There are no nobodies. Dear ones, what a wonderful, wonderful blessing this is. Look into the heart of God. Then finally, just in closing, let me just say this. Let us not only experience Jesus in this power. Let us be like Jesus. Let us be like Jesus. We're called to that. Romans 12, we're called to associate with the lowly. Peter and James and John told Paul, don't forget the poor. Let us, let, let us value children. Let us see. Let us be like Jesus. See the unseen. See the insignificant. Lock in on the needy. Don't be mesmerized by the world's greatness and beauty and power. Lock in on the needy. Become sensitive to the needy around you. See these valueless, insignificant people and enter into their life. And this can be as simple as this. You come to a church dinner and somebody is sitting alone. And you want to go sit with your friends you want to go sit with your family, but you see this person sitting alone and you think, what would it be like to sit here alone? And you take your meal and you go sit with them. You see somebody walking into this church and sitting alone. They're new and they're feeling vulnerable and they're feeling, they're feeling awkward. And you go up to them and you love them. That's, that's being like Jesus. Kids, the unpopular kid in school, the unpopular kid in the homeschool co-op that nobody wants to be around. You see him or her, and you're moved with compassion to go and to befriend them. People of, of different cultures, people of different races than us, that poor person that you might see, whose clothes and, and demeanor and looks tells you that they're, they're from the lower uh, uh, stratuses of society. And instead of saying, blah, 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 you, you, you're drawn to them. You're drawn to them. You, you have compassion. The elderly, the handicapped, just quiet people, odd people. Let us be like Jesus and be drawn to them and care for them. 
and see them and take them into our heart. Dear unbeliever, if you're here today and you're saying, man, I'm feeling all this stuff. I am. I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. I'm a failure. I'm a nobody. The world has treated me like I'm not wanted by anybody. I don't have any social status. I don't have any kind of... I have nothing. There's nobody who cares about me. Yes, there is. And he's the most important person in the universe. And he cares deeply for you. And he loves you. And he longs to hold you and to relate to you and to save you and to care for you and to watch over you. He ferociously loves you. Come to him. Come to him. Come running into his arms and find in him all of the happiness you've been looking for but you can't find. All of the peace that you've been chasing after but you can't find. All of the joy, all of the rest, all of the love that you haven't found in this world, you will only find in Jesus, in the one who has such a heart of love. Oh, come to him. Come to him, and he will embrace you. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we live in your world. We thank you that it's not Allah's world or Buddha's world the Hindu world of all their strange gods. We thank you that it's not the empty secular world of just matter and chance. We thank you, oh great God, we live in your world. A God of such a great and beautiful heart. A God of compassion. A God who loves the, the needy, the handicapped, the homeless, the hurting, the marginalized, the smallest little child. We thank you. We praise you that you have revealed yourself to be such a tender, caring, loving God. You feed birds every day. You clothe flowers. A broken reed you will not break off. You are a great and loving and tender God. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for letting us see you through him. Thank you for your great blessing and goodness. Thank you that you love us. Help us to trust you. Help us to have childlike faith. Help us to leave this place and never again doubt that my God loves me. My Abba Father, he thinks I'm special. He cares for me. He'll be with me. And he will hold me fast no matter what. He will always hold me fast. Oh, Father, what privilege we have to be able to talk to you like this and to know you and to know that you sent your beloved son to die for us. If there are any here today, children, teenagers, adults, elderly, who don't know you, but who so desperately hunger for your love now, Oh, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, open their eyes and bring them to yourself. And may you be glorified and praised by your tender love. We pray this in your precious name.
Amen.